3: She had broken the ultimate girl code, if you like, and she had dared to wed the Queen's favourite. And if anybody had known, you know, what had gone on between Elizabeth and Dudley, maybe it was Latisse. Maybe that added an extra sting.
4: That was Nicola Tallis discussing a Tudor love triangle.
0: You're listening to the History Extra podcast from BBC History magazine. we the UK's best-selling history magazine available in print and several digital formats all over the world. Find out more at historyextra.com forward slash subscribe, or look out for us in your digital newsstand or app store.
4: Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast. I'm Rob Attar, the editor of BBC History magazine. In today's episode, we'll be finding out about a story of love and betrayal that caused great tensions in the Tudor court. Robert Dudley was the long-standing favourite of Elizabeth I, but in 1578 he married the noblewoman Latisse Knowles, sparking the Virgin Queen's fury. These events are explored by the historical author Nicola Tallis in her most recent book, and she met up with our website assistant, Rachel Dinning, at our History Weekend event last autumn.
5: I'm here at the York History Weekend with Nicola Tallis who has been talking about Lady Jane Grey Um, but what she's going to talk to us about today is actually her latest book Elizabeth's Rival which came out recently. Why did you want to write this book?
3: It was something that really intrigued me because I was visiting St Mary's Church in Warwick in September 2015 um, looking for something for my first book on Lady Jane Grey. And whilst I was there, I was admiring this wonderful double tomb to of Lettice Knowles and her second husband, Robert Dudley. And it really struck me then that I didn't know very much about this woman. And I thought, when I get a moment, I'm going to go and find out more. And I did. And I was really shocked to find that nobody had ever written a biography of her. So for me that was the perfect opportunity to put
5: that right. And you sort of describe her in in your latest book as Elizabeth's rival, her love rival. And as you just said, I mean, no one's done this before. The Tudor period's a really popular area of history. Why do you think no one has covered Latisse Knowles?
3: I have got no idea because there is so much material available. And I think it's just because she's a bit of an unknown entity. The number of people who I've told that I've been working on the Knowles and they've just looked at me blankly um, because people just don't have any idea who she is. They don't realise how closely associated with Elizabeth she was. Not just as you say because they were love rivals, but also because they were tied by blood as well. Um, and I think that she's just overlooked because there's so much on, so much focus on Elizabeth, and More focus on Elizabeth's relationship with Robert Dudley. That Lettice has kind of just been sidelined.
5: And you mentioned briefly that she's tied to Elizabeth by blood. So, what, yeah, what exact relation is she to Elizabeth? (laughs) Okay, this is a very difficult one to
3: pinpoint exactly. So, Lettice's mother, Catherine Knowles, I am convinced was. Um, the result of her mother, Mary Boleyn's, affair with Henry VIII. So if that is true, it means that Letice was an illegitimate granddaughter of Henry VIII and Elizabeth, therefore, would have been Letice's aunt. So they were certainly cousins because um, Letice's grandmother, Mary Boleyn, was, of course, sister of Elizabeth's mother, Anne Boleyn but I think that they were actually more closely related than any of them could openly admit to.
5: Let's explore Latisse a bit, what what do we know about her and how did you go about finding this information that you've uncovered about her?
3: Um, She was this really, I mean she was a really interesting figure, there's there's not a lot we can say about her in her youth which is not unusual for um, men or women of this period. But she really comes to the fore when Elizabeth I succeeds in, at the end of 1558. And she is immediately appointed um, to join the Queen's household as one of her ladies. And she was described as being one of Elizabeth's favourites. So for the first, certainly the first year or so of Elizabeth's reign, she was one of the leading ladies of Elizabeth's court. Elizabeth, of course, was the queen bee and her ladies were expected to fall into the background. But she was given, um, Letizia was given a favoured position by her and, um, and, you know, a privileged access to the queen as well. Because these positions as the queen's ladies were highly sought after. So that's a real mark of Letizia's favour that she was allowed that clo- close proximity to Elizabeth. And we also know she was described as one of the best looking ladies of the court. So um, well, something that really struck me was how closely she resembles Elizabeth in looks. And you can really see that if you look at their portraits of one another, although Lettice was 10 years younger than Elizabeth. So given her looks, it's no wonder that um, she attracts a suitor within a short space of time. And his name was Wal- Walter Devereaux, Viscount Hereford and um, we don't know anything about their courtship but we do know that they had resolved to marry. This probably took place in 1561 and at that time Letice retired from the court and um, took up residence at her husband's Staffordshire home, Chartley and she remained there for the next few years fulfilling her wifely duties chiefly Um, Providing her husband with an heir. And she and Walter had five children, four of whom survived infancy two sons and two daughters. Um, But it didn't stop her from returning to the court on occasion because she was still very young. Court still held a great deal of appeal to her. And it was on one of these visits to court that her name became linked with that of
5: another man. And that, of course, was Robert Dudley. Right, yes. just before we go on to Robert Dudley, I wanted to briefly ask about her first marriage because Elizabeth was was quite known, wasn't she, for, for hating it when her ladies got married. She would, she would get intensely and jealous, particularly yeah. if they hadn't t- told her. So yeah. what did she react to this first marriage? Do we know how she reacted? And obviously Latisse took herself away from court for some time. Do we know how this went down with Elizabeth? There's unfortunately and frustratingly, there isn't
3: any surviving evidence um as you say elizabeth wasn't particularly fond of her ladies marrying because she wanted or she expected to be the center of their world and um it, it, this puts it, we know that it put a huge strain on latisse's parents for example and um it's so much so that latisse's father once dramatically claimed that he was prepared to quit his life at court for a quiet life in the country, just because it was too much. Uh, but in Letizia's case, there's actually no evidence to show that she disapproved of Letitia's marriage to Walter Devereux. And we can only assume that she gave it her approval. We do know that she did, she didn't always oppose marriages. It was more often than not, Um, if she didn't perceive any advantage in it to her ladies and in Letizia's instance she and Walter were very well matched because Walter um, was possessed of ancient and noble lineage and Letizia and her family have a very good relationship with the Queen so they're really um, it's a really suitable match on both sides.
5: Okay great um One other thing that I was curious about was what would Leticia's role um, have been at court? What sort of things would she have been doing? So she would have been responsible for
3: um, making conversation with the Queen, for helping her with her makeup, for dressing her hair, helping her dress with these numerous costly garments. Um, Elizabeth's well known for her love of clothes and finery, Uh, helping her to wash, But also participating in court entertainments, so the masks and the dances that were a frequent occurrence at Elizabeth's Court, all of these things Latisse would have been expected to participate
5: in also. So it was a very intimate relationship with the Queen, she'd have known her very, very well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So how did she come to know Robert Dudley, Um, what were the origins of their relationship?
3: Yeah, it's very, it's very difficult to know exactly where it started, but their families were friends. So they were both Protestant families. And from the very beginning of Elizabeth's reign, not only are Letices family at the forefront of affairs, but so is Robert Dudley and his family. And like Elizabeth, Robert Dudley had endured a turbulent youth, and um, he'd also been married, and... Um, He of course was not only one of the Queen's favourites, but also her one-time suitor. And so he was often at court and we don't know exactly how well he would have come to know Latisse during this time, but he was certainly a friend of her father, Francis Knowles. Um, But it's in 1565 that their names come to be linked to each other for the first time. And by that time, Robert Dudley's first wife had died in mysterious circumstances, and he was busy trying to press his suit for the Queen's hand. But Elizabeth had really kept him at arm's length and not given him a definitive answer either way. And so in 1565, Robert Dudley had come up with a way to try and force an answer out of her. And at that time, Letiz had travelled to London to attend the wedding of her elder brother, Henry, and it's at this time that the Imperial Ambassador reported that Robert Dudley was busy flirting with her and showing her attention, that's the phrase that he uses, Um, and that he, um, she's a favourite of the, that. Letice was a favourite of the Queen at this time, and that is exactly why Robert Dudley had, had chosen her to antagonise Elizabeth. And we don't know exactly how Lettice responded to his attentions, but given that she was pregnant at this time with her third child, it's unlikely that anything happened then. But Elizabeth flew into a jealous rage and hated the fact that Dudley was showing Lettice all of this attention and their names aren't mentioned um, or aren't linked with one another again for more than a decade so they probably they would have been familiar with one another from court and whether there was any physical attraction between them possibly maybe likely but nothing developed between them until much later.
5: Now Robert Dudley and Elizabeth had a very interesting relationship um, so I think maybe we should talk a little bit about about that um, so how how did Robert Dudley come to be in Elizabeth's court let's let's start with that question
3: okay um, now it's very difficult to pinpoint again exactly when Robert Dudley and Elizabeth came to know one another they'd certainly known each other during their youth and I think the fact that they both had this turbulent past sort of cemented the bonds of friendship between them, if you like. But Elizabeth had always known that Robert Dudley had been married, married to Amy Robsart in 1550, but they had always been very, very close. And there's a a later report which talks about the fact that Dudley had lent Elizabeth money when she was in trouble in her youth also. Um, But from the very beginning of Elizabeth's reign, Dudley is promoted and at the forefront of everything and just a couple of months after Elizabeth's succession it was reported that she was in love with him and their relationship of course drew gossip, scandalous gossip and she continuously risked her reputation on his behalf because there were these reports about how he'd been visiting her chambers late at night when nobody else was present And then, of course, when Amy Robsart is found dead at the bottom of the staircase, September 1560, um, it it does damage Dudley's reputation because it was believed by some that he had murdered her. And it it kind of... That really ended any possibility of a romantic relationship between him and Elizabeth, um, which was... Perhaps what was intended because there was no question of her being able to
5: to marry him then so the the death of Robert's wife Amy so the circumstances around around this this was sort of at the height of the gossip about Elizabeth and, and Dudley yeah um, and then she was it she fell down the stairs and Broke her neck. Yeah, is that right? She fell down, or was pushed? Yeah. Or was pushed exactly? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this seems very suspicious and a sort of convenient time. So, yeah. what, do you? What do you think? Do you think that she? What do you think happened there? Do you? It's a, it's a, such a difficult one to pinpoint. I think I certainly don't think that Robert
3: Dudley was responsible in in any way, shape, or form. We know that um, Amy was unwell. But I think that she was actually murdered on William Cecil, Lord Burley's orders, because we know that he was extremely worried about how close Robert Dudley was getting to the Queen and was really worried about the possibility of them marrying. And so I think he realised that if Amy died and died in a manner where it looked like she'd been murdered, then that would quash any claim that he had to marry Elizabeth.
1: And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
5: So I certainly think that he's a strong contender. (laughs) And as you said, it, it worked in that sense it, it Elizabeth very much withdrew from Robert Dudley after yeah. this point in time and yeah. um, I mean do you think that she would have married him in any circ- other circumstances why I mean if she if she did have these strong feelings for him which we, we can't know for definite, you know why yeah. didn't she marry him
3: I think Elizabeth I don't think she ever would have would have married him ultimately I think She makes this declaration very soon after her succession that she's married to her country and that she will never marry any man. And we see throughout the course of her reign there are times when she wavers and it looks like actually she's going to marry Dudley at one point, um, Juker of Anjou at another point, but ultimately she always gets cold feet. And I think that she'd seen she'd had first-hand experience with not only the way in which her mother had met her brutal end, but she's also seen how numerous of her other stepmothers, you know, her um, Jane Seymour, died as a, result, as a result of childbirth, her father discards Anna Cleves, and then Catherine Howard is also executed. She's got all these examples of how royal marriage could go wrong before her, and I think that it left permanent scars And so I think, really, her resolution at the beginning of her reign that she wasn't going to marry is a true reflection of her
5: intentions. So even without Robert's um, wife being killed in these, well, dying in this horrible way, um, you don't think that she would actually have pursued a relationship anyway? No.
3: I do think that she was in love with him and that she cared very greatly for him. But I don't think... I think the idea of a marriage was something very
5: different and it wasn't a step that she was prepared to take so going forward a few years and Dudley and Latisse so how, how does she react when she starts to learn of perhaps a flirtatious relationship between these two
3: um yeah the first time that Latisse and Les- and Dudley's names are mentioned in um collusion with one another is 1565 and Elizabeth was completely outraged Um, And we're told that she upbraided him in very bitter terms, although we don't have any record of if she did have words with Latisse also. But then their names aren't linked with one another for more than a decade. And the next time that we hear of Elizabeth's reaction is when she learns that the two have secretly married and she didn't react well at all, to put it mildly. (laughs) Okay, then, what, what happened? In um, in September 1578, Leicester, as he was then, Robert Dudley had been created Earl of Leicester, Leicester and Lettice undergo a secret wedding. And a secret wedding was the only option because they both knew full well that the Queen would never give them her royal consent to marry. By this time, Letiz's first husband, Walter Devereux, um, was dead. And... She and Lester had struck up a romantic relationship that soon became very serious, and before long they were in love and had resolved to marry. And for Lester, this is a big step for him because he had, he'd given up on the idea of wedding Elizabeth by this point, and for many years he, the, um, one contemporary reported that he'd forborne marriage in all other respects elsewhere because he didn't want to earn Elizabeth's enmity. But so strong were his feelings for Latisse that they did undergo this secret marriage ceremony. And it was a very badly kept secret from the start. And within a matter of weeks, there were whispers at court of what had gone on. But nobody dared to tell the queen at this time. Um, But it was probably in July 1579, 10 months after the marriage had taken place, that Elizabeth was dealt this blow and we know she was utterly crushed by it and she was so outraged that her initial reaction was to have Lester sent to the tower um, but she was dissuaded from doing so but he was nevertheless told to absent himself from court and was sent to his house at Kew to lie low um, and the majority of her anger, the Queen's anger, was reserved for Lettice. And you know, why is this? Maybe because she's a woman, perhaps because she's also 10 years younger and very beautiful, which adds a further element of resentment to the situation. But at some point, this bitter confrontation between the two women took place within the Queen's apartments at the Palace of Whitehall. And uh, we're told that Elizabeth, in no uncertain terms, told Lettice that she would have but one queen in England and boxed her ears and forbade her from the court. And so Lettice was banished and basically told to retire into a life of obscurity. The queen was absolutely outraged. Um, for Leicester... He was very quickly restored to favour. Elizabeth couldn't bear the thought of losing him from her life altogether. But Elizabeth, um, sorry, but Lettice was not.
5: So did Letice sort of live the rest of her life in a very quiet life away from the court? What, what was the what was the ultimate ending of this tale?
3: Well, in some ways, she did. She she retired from court and she did content herself with domestic matters for some time. So um, she gave birth to a son with Robert Dudley, named um, Robert after his father. But sadly, he died when he was three years old. And um, from then on, all of Leticia's hopes for advancement and and glory were invested in her children from her first marriage. And her son, um, also Robert, Earl of Essex, uh, quickly became a favorite with the Queen. But um, during this time she, she is living this peaceful domestic existence um, running Leicester's household and so on but Elizabeth was still furious with her and we know that during this time she continued to insult her so on one occasion um, Elizabeth called Letizia a she-wolf and um, when Leicester departed for the Netherlands in late 1585 to lead the Queen's forces against the Spanish there were these um, malicious reports that Lettice was planning on going as well and Elizabeth was furious and made it clear that that was no way going to happen. And Letiz's representatives had to sort of pacify her and say, it's fine, she's, she's not going anywhere. When Leicester died in 1588, even that didn't serve to heal the breach between the two women. Lettice even though she had, you know, she hadn't been reconciled to the Queen, she hadn't given up hope, and she decided to give it one more throw of the dice, and by now her son, the Earl of Essex, was very much the Queen's new favourite since Leicester's death, and it was through him that she saw her means of being restored to favour, and gradually, eventually, Essex manages to convince the Queen to meet with his mother... And so um, Lettice travelled from the countryside in Staffordshire, where she'd been living, to court. In the height of winter, she was that desperate to be reconciled with the Queen. And at the last minute, Elizabeth cancelled the meeting and refused to meet her. Um, so she completely humiliated her. There was Letisse arrived at court in all her finery, and it was a snub that was humiliatingly public. But she was determined not to give up. And Essex nagged the Queen... To, to meet with her and eventually she did. And after 20 years apart from one another, the two women came face to face and who knows what they felt as they looked at each other at that time. But um, Lettice had good reason to hope that she had been forgiven because it was reported that the queen had embraced her and allowed Lettice to kiss her hand but unfortunately for Lettice it was all a superficial show. And just a few days later, Elizabeth was reported to be insulting her once more. And
5: unbeknown to Lettice they would never meet again. That's fascinating that this grudge was held for such a long time. Yeah. So how long this meeting, how, how long after um, Dudley's death was this, roughly? Um, so this took place a decade of almost a decade after Dudley's death so even a that you know they've been married for years he's he's passed away Elizabeth still feels so intensely strongly about this woman who at the very start of her you know they had a good relationship in in the past and possibly even she was sister with her the sister of her mother it's kind of it's remarkable yeah um you touched on it briefly, but I'll, I'll ask again. Um, wh- why do you think she was so intensely um, against Latisse, but so you know, welcoming of, of Dudley after it, an initial putting him in the Tower of London? Why do you think that was?
3: I think it's partly because Latisse was a woman, and Elizabeth generally throughout her life seems to have closer relationships with men and seem to associate more with men. And I think that the bonds that she had with Robert Dudley were ultimately stronger than those that she had with She, They had been through so much together, and I think that she just couldn't bear to lose him altogether, whereas Latisse, you know, she had broken the ultimate girl code, if you like, and she had dared to wed the Queen's favourite. And if anybody had known, you know, what had gone on between... Elizabeth and
5: Dudley, maybe it was Latisse. Maybe that added an extra sting. Ah, okay. And do, I mean, do we think that Dudley had a genuine affection for Lettice? It was a, a love match?
3: Yeah, I definitely think it was a love match because I don't think anything else would have persuaded him to risk losing Elizabeth's favour unless he had been very much in love. And unfortunately, none of his letters to Latisse survive and none of hers to him survive. But he did refer to her in his will as his loving wife. Um, when their son sadly passed away, although Letiz was by his side at the time, Dudley was at court and he hurried from court to be by Letiz's side. And you know, they really stuck together and comforted each other through this time. And he referred to the fact that he'd been there comforting his poor, sorrowful wife, who was badly handled by the Queen. So I do think that there was a definite, definite... Um, real love
5: there you sort of said that there's no surviving letters between her and Dudley so when whilst you're writing your latest book what was the sort of evidence that you were looking at yeah so
3: even though none of her letters to Dudley survive or to her first husband um, there are actually quite a number of her other letters which survive and many of these were written to her son the Earl of Essex and um, those were a brilliant source of information. And motherhood was really Lettice's calling in life. And if you read her letters, it tells you a great deal about her and her approach to motherhood. And you can see from this that she was a really um, protective and sometimes stifling mother who was constantly pestering her son and, you know calling him up on the fact that he didn't come to see her enough, he didn't write to her enough, that he didn't do enough for her. and uh, But on the other hand, she always referred to him as her most sweet and noble child, and um, she always signed herself something along the lines of your mother infinitely loving you. So her letters, those that survive, were um, a, a brilliant source. And equally, three of her letters survived to Lord Burley, um, all about financial matters after the death of her first husband. And you can see from this what a determined character she was, because she was constantly, doggedly pursuing him and um, what she believed to be her rights. Um, so, yeah, that was a, that was a, a brilliant, brilliant source.
5: One thing I was actually really curious about, and this is slightly off topic, but Letice's name, w- was this a common name in the Tudor period? Because we don't have it now. Uh, well, we possibly no. do. But <laughs> do, you, do you know if this is a common name? Yeah,
3: I mean, it wasn't a common name, although it did become more common because Letisse herself, she had, I think, four nieces who were also called Lattice, Um And she had various granddaughters who were also called Letisse. And you know, that's not unusual. But it was, she was named... As a compliment to her paternal grandmother, Lettice Peniston, and it was a shortened for um, a shortened form of Letitia, which was the Latin
5: word for happiness. Oh, that's interesting. So Lettice herself—I mean, she she lived an extraordinarily long time, didn't she? Yeah. Um, tell me about the end of her life. So she lived to the extraordinary age of ninety-one,
3: which. That's old now, but it was almost unheard of in the 16th century. She lived through the reigns of seven monarchs, including Lady Jane Grey, and two dynasties, the Tudors and the Stuarts. And in 1632, which was two years before her death, she was still reported to be in such good health that she could walk for a mile a day. But by 1634, her health had rapidly deteriorated and we don't unfortunately know what the nature of her final illness was but it was on Christmas day 1634 that she died at Drayton Bassett which
5: was her home in Staffordshire um actually I was wondering she got married again didn't she after Dudley's death is that right yes yeah yeah. what was the circumstances of her third marriage who who was it to and yeah would you like to tell me about that
3: yeah yeah of course so Um, We don't know exactly how it all came about, but after Dudley's death, um, Letiz was the executor of his will, and Dudley had died hugely in debt. He himself didn't even realise how much money he owed, but it was a lot, um, millions, modern-day equivalent of millions. And Letiz was responsible for paying all of these debts... And I think it was perhaps because she wanted some assistance with her financial affairs that she felt that she needed a male protector. And so just 10 months after um, Dudley had died, she married again in July 1589 to Sir Christopher Blount, who was a member of um, Dudley's household. But he was a very unusual choice because Lettice and her family were all stringently Protestant and... Christopher Blount came from a notoriously Catholic family and he had served in Dudley's household. But it does seem that there was a genuine affection between the pair and um, Blount is the only one of Letice's husbands for who a letter does survive. And although it's very short, she does refer to herself as being his affectionate and obedient wife. And she also referred to Blount as being her best friend but we know that not everybody approved of this marriage because Letitia's son, the Earl of Essex, originally described it as an unhappy choice. But gradually, as time wore on, Blount did prove himself to be a loyal stepfather who won Essex's trust. And we know that he did immediately begin setting about trying to sort out Letitia's financial affairs. He began selling off some of her jewels to pay her creditors, but. Um, Later on, when Blount falls into hot water, Letice immediately tried to distance herself from him, and I think by then she'd had enough, and she claimed that he'd sold her jewels and her lands without her consent, so she was very
5: clearly trying to move
3: herself away from him.
5: Oh, so the marriage actually had a bit of a bitter ending. To yeah, it had a very bitter yeah. ending,
3: which was dictated by circumstances. Because um, in February 1601, Letice's son, the Earl of Essex, who had been gradually falling out of favour with Queen Elizabeth, really since 1599, he staged this ill-thought-out rebellion to topple the Queen's government, and Sir Christopher Blount was one of the key conspirators. And we don't know how much Letisse knew about this rebellion, but she certainly knew something. And it all went disastrously wrong. Essex was arrested, so it was Christopher Blount, and they were both executed. And yeah, um, Lettice immediately t- tried
5: to have um, disassociate herself from Blount. Yeah, let's talk about the Essex Rebellion. If you'd like to tell me a little bit more about that.
3: Yeah, it was basically a a plot by Essex. It was really rash and really, really uh, stupidly um, reckless. But he planned to overthrow the Queen's government and install himself as head of the Queen's council, head of the Queen's advisers. And Blount was backing him all the way But it was really doomed to failure from the outset and um, the conspirators were quickly rounded up and put on trial, found guilty. Um, The Earl of Essex was executed first, so um, uh, Letice's son was was lost to her and then soon afterwards Blount was executed too. So Letice's family had been completely shattered.
5: You have to wonder. And like having learnt that, how um, what sort of conversations went on in in their household, you know, between Latisse and her husband, yeah, I mean, about Elizabeth, yeah. Um, I mean, you've sort of suggested I think that Lettice didn't approve of this and was very much she distanced herself from him, especially after the execution. So yeah. you don't think that she had any sort of ill will towards Elizabeth at this, at this point.
3: It's so difficult to know. I mean, I don't. I don't. I certainly. Don't think she harboured any warm feelings towards Elizabeth given how the Queen had treated her but I think a rebellion against the Queen was treason and that's a completely different kettle of fish so I don't think. Latisse was very astute and she was a clever woman and I think she was well aware that the consequences for treason were fatal and she wouldn't have wanted to become embroiled in anything
5: like that. To so sort of sum up what would you say to someone, um, like, wh- why should they read a biography of Letisse? Why is her life, to you, so interesting?
3: There are so many reasons. I think that Letisse and her life really sum up everything that we find interesting about the Tudor period. It's full of tragedy, it's full of ambition, it's got love, heartbreak, intrigue and disgrace. And somebody recently described it as the great Tudor catfight. And (laughs) I think that that is the perfect way of summarising Elizabeth's Rival.
4: That was Nicola Tallis. Elizabeth's Rival, the tumultuous tale of Latisse Knowles, Countess of Leicester, is out now in the UK and the US, published by Michael O'Mara. And Nicola wrote the cover feature of our December 2017 issue, which is available as a back issue. Meanwhile, our February edition has recently gone on sale and contains pieces about the suffragettes, the Trojan Wars, the terracotta warriors and lots more. Look out for it in all good retailers now, plus in our many digital formats. Well, that's about all for today, but please do listen in on Monday when we're going to air the first of two episodes on women's fight for the vote.
0: Thanks for listening to this History Extra podcast, which was produced by Jack Fletcher.